what's more effective, a well-trained person with no equipment or a well-equipped person with no training? Well, in certain cases, I'd have to say that a person with proper training can get by with minimal equipment. But ideally, you'd like to have both. Lads to leaders. Now, Lads to Leaders is known as a program, but I'd like to describe it as a process. You see, the name is the process. You take lads, young people, and you mature them into leaders. The process of lads becoming leaders is about both equipment and training. Young people are equipped with values. They are equipped with philosophy, and they are equipped with special skills. Lads to Leaders is not just learning to do, but in reality, it's doing to learn. And as people participate in the Lads to Leaders program, they become well-trained and well-equipped to be the future leaders. And church leaders or community leaders, it, it produces leadership qualities in young people. The Lads to Leaders program is the legacy of Dr. Jack Zorn, who invented the program. If you're interested in participating in Lads to Leaders, ladstoleaders.com. If you're interested in learning more about it, you can contact Rhonda Fernandez, 321-202-7600, 321-202-7600, ladstoleaders.com. Producing leaders in the church, in the future, in the young people of today. Keeping up with Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure is sponsored by SJL General Contractors. SJL General Contractors is licensed in both Alabama and Tennessee. This family-owned business provides mass grading, storm drainage, sewer and concrete improvement, asphalt paving, erosion control, demolition, and heavy hauling. If you're in need of any of these services, you can contact them at 931-433-4660. That is 931-433-4660. If you'd like to be employed by this family-owned company, three W's and a dot, sjnl.com, www.sjnl.com. Stinger sitting at his desk. Before him stand Lieutenant Pete Mitchell and Lieutenant Junior Grade Nick Bradshaw, Maverick and Goose. The ball-headed CO of the aircraft carrier, played by James Tolkien, is looking at these two fighter pilots. And this is part of his speech. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. You've been busted. You've lost your qualifications as section leader three times, put in hack twice by me with a history of high-speed passes over five air control towers and one admiral's daughter. At the mention of the admiral's daughter, Goose looks at Maverick and says, Penny Benjamin. Maverick gives a sardonic smile, a slight shrug. Stinger looks at Goose and says, And you, you're lucky to be here, expletive deleted, to which Goose promptly responds with a, Yes, thank you, sir. Penny Benjamin, I guess is the Admiral's daughter, shows up in the next movie that they make about Top Gun. We don't really ever hear her last name. It's just Penny. 
But doing the math, you have to think that this is the Penny Benjamin referred to in the speech by Stinger when Maverick and Goose are being dressed down by him. I don't know any admirals, and I don't know any admirals' daughters. I did, however, one time meet a general's daughter. I was a teenager in Anniston, Alabama, and I was going about Anniston, Alabama, doing the things that, that I was doing. I don't know if I was at a uh, video game arcade or we were at the mall or we were eating ice cream somewhere, but there was this opportunity for me to interact with other people, and this young lady wasn't going to church with us, and it's not somebody that went to my high school, but we began to talk, and she was pleasant enough and 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 more than adequately attractive, and I managed to get her phone number, and this was before there was Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram and any of those things, and so at some point, I drove home to our house in Oxford, Alabama, and I picked a phone up off a receiver on the wall and punched in some buttons and asked this young lady if I might possibly take her to dinner and to a movie. And she was kind enough to accept my invitation. And she says, here's how you get to my house. And we made the arrangements. And I guess when you're, you know, a young man and you've asked somebody if they'll go out with you and they've said, yes, you hear, but you don't pay attention. And so I'm following these driving directions and I drive north in, into Anniston, Alabama, and I go over the mountain there. And you got to remember what I'm driving is a 1968 Chevrolet Impala. It has damage from the previous owner having wrecked it and never repaired it. It does not have a radio. It does not have air conditioning. And, and it looks like, you know, a car version of the Millennium Falcon. It looks like it shouldn't be able to fly. And I'm following my little driving direction because there's no cell phones and there's no GPSs. This is how you got to places. And I pull up to the main gate at Fort McClellan. The two MPs standing at the gate approach my car. They ask for my ID, and they ask for my purpose for being there, and I tell them the last name of the young lady that I'm going to pick up. And this young MP leans inside my car and goes, You mean General? And he uses the last name and says, You're going to pick up the General's daughter in that. Well, yes, I am uh, going to attempt to pick up the general's daughter in, in this. And they shared a smug look between each other and, and waved me through the gate. So now it has dawned on me that I'm driving on to a military control base in a car that is at best disreputable, at, at, at worst embarrassing. And I pull up in front of the quarters where this guy who apparently is the company commander, the base commander for either Fort McClellan or the Anniston Army Depot. The, the depot has been used as a chemical munitions place. It's been used as a place to train uh, MPs. I think during this time it was an MP school. So, you know, everybody here is a military police. And so I go to the front door and I knock on the door. The young lady comes to the door, I go in, I meet the general, we talk a little bit, I get the, you know, the typical where you're going, what you're going to do, when you're going to be back, da-da-da-da-da. You know, the whole thing of, you know, I command this entire fort, and if you harm my daughter, embarrass my daughter, in any way displease my daughter, you know, I can have you killed in so many ways, this is not even funny. Great, yeah, whatever. 
We go outside. I open the door. She gets in my car. I sit in the front seat, and 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 my car won't start. Now it's not very often that my fateful 1968 Chevrolet Impala named Westwind would not start, but some days he treated me that way. And so here I am with this man's daughter, and, and I've, I've made the request. I'm a young man, and, and I want you to trust me with the safety, well-being, and care of your daughter. And I, and, and I can't even start my car. She said, well, I'll go get my dad. I said, oh, please don't go get your dad. Well, she, she goes and, and gets her dad. Now, now, you've got to understand, I love our veterans. I love our service personnel. I love our first responders. I've got friends who are combat vets. I've got friends who are retired military. I've got friends who are active duty. But all of you have met the career Air Force, career Navy, career Marine, career Army guy that, that knows everything. And he's quick to tell you that he knows everything and you know nothing. And then I'm not saying that all the military personnel are like that. I'm saying some of the military personnel are like that. Well, this is a general. And he comes out into the summer sun. And he says, let me hear your car. I comply. I hit the switch and the car makes less than noise. He goes, raise your hood. He goes, obviously, this is your battery. And I tried to be respectful, and I, I don't want to argue. And, and, you know, I didn't argue with adults. I'm super compliant as, as a kid, and I'm especially not going to argue with a general on his base. And I go, sir, with all due respect, I think my battery's fine. It, it, it's relatively new. You got any tools on this car? And I had a meager assortment of tools. I had the old-style pedestal jack, and I had, you know, some screwdrivers and, and an assortment of – and he grabs my, my pliers, he said, let me show you how to test this battery for, for strength, son. And he spreads the pliers out as, as far as he can spread them. And these pliers are not insulated. They have no rubber grips on them. He looks at me and he says, if you touch these pliers to these two terminals, you can tell whether it's got a charge. And he does. He takes these metal pliers and he touches them to the terminals of my battery. And it looked as if the God of Thunder himself had struck this man in the chest with Mjolnir the hammer. Sparks flew and the general lands double bun impact on the ground in front of my car. Now, I know that's not what happened. What happened was he touched the battery. The battery sparked a little. He got a little jolt in his hand. He backed up because he was shocked and lost his footing and hit the ground. But it looked like Thor had slapped him into the pavement. And I'm standing here aghast, and his daughter laughed. I am now running through the scenarios of how my life is going to end. Because the only thing worse than being embarrassed is being embarrassed in front of your daughter. And the only thing worse than being embarrassed in front of your daughter is your daughter making a big deal out of it. And I'm imagining the ways in which my life is going to end and I'm going to disappear. They're going to take my little car out to the tank range and they're going to blow it into molecules. And then I'm just going to disappear at some black site somewhere and they're going to torture me till the general gets bored. That's what's going to happen. I mean, I'm, there, there's MPs everywhere, and all he's got to do is say, hey, this guy needs to disappear, and I'm gone without question. I, you know, I saw The Citadel, and, and, and I've seen the movie Basic, and I've seen several of the things that happened, and I'm, I'm a dead man. I'm, I'm gone. 
I'm not sure what the voltage is coming off of a car battery, and I'm not sure, you know, what the strength of the, the jolt was that, that the, the general got. But he was not as shocked as I was when he stood up and dusted his pants off and said, well, son, apparently your battery's strong. <laughs> and that was that was the end of the matter. It was some solenoid switch, and I hit the, the switch enough, and the car finally turned over. Uh, deeming that my car might not be reliable to get his daughter out and back again. I, I think maybe we decided to, to do something on the base, or maybe we didn't even go. I don't even remember how the rest of the story ends. I just remember watching this general get up off the floor, of, of, get out of the pavement, dust himself off and look at me and go, well, I, I was wrong about your battery. How do, how do we behave? How do we react when we get into a situation and we're embarrassed or we're humiliated or we're proven wrong? Now, now sometimes when, when we get involved in, in, in questions about right or wrong, it is literally right or wrong. There's a, there's a moral issue. How do we behave when it's pointed out to us that our behavior was was wrong? Or, or sometimes we're discussing something or we're trying to prove something, and it's not about right or wrong. It's just about correct. I had this information, and my information didn't match the facts. How do we respond when somebody points out that, that we were wrong, incorrect, and we're embarrassed or humiliated or proven wrong? And sometimes we get involved in things, and it's really not about right or wrong, but it's it's about smart or stupid. And I thought I was going to do it this way, and it was going to be smart, but it ended up that it actually was just stupid. And I have to face the, the repercussions or the consequences or the self-recriminations of it. What I've noticed over the years is that when, when people are wrong, and, and that's morally or their wrong facts are wrong, or they weren't smart in their decisions. I've noticed over the years that when people respond to that with minimization, it's not a big deal. Denial, I really didn't do that, I really didn't say that, or blame. The only reason I behaved this way is because they behaved this way. When I see minimization, denial, and blame, I realize that people aren't trying to solve the problem. They're trying to, to get out of trouble. They're not trying to solve the problem. They're just trying to save face. You see, if you respond to, to, to situations where, where when I'm wrong, and I learned this from a guy named Jim Woodruff. I listened to a series of tapes that, that Jim did when he took the, the Beatitudes, and he converted the Beatitudes into relationship languages. And, and he and, you know, the Beatitudes all start with the word blessed, and it is blessed. It's not blessed, as the old guys at church do when they get up and read blessed or the poor. No, it's just blessed. That's the way it's written. That's the way it's pronounced. You're not more righteous or more holy if it's blessed. It's just blessed. But Jim takes these these words, Dr. Woodruff took those words, and, and, and he turns them into this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I was wrong. Blessed are those who mourn. I'm sorry. Blessed are the meek, let's do what's best for you. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, let's do what's right regardless. 
You see, when I get confronted with a situation and I'm wrong, whether it's morally, factually, or I didn't do the smart thing, and I feel embarrassed and humiliated and and, and I want to respond with composure and poise and calm, then it's about ownership. It's about saying I was wrong, you know, that, that extreme accountability. I was wrong, and I'm sorry. Not I'm sorry that I've got caught. Not I'm sorry that I'm going to have to pay consequences. Not I'm sorry that I'm embarrassed, humiliated. Not I'm sorry that I was exposed, but but a genuine repentance. A godly sorrow works repentance that leads to salvation, not to be regretted. And so when I say I was wrong and I'm sorry, then I look at the, the other person involved and I say, okay, how can we fix this? So let's do what's best for you. In most cases, when we talk about let's do what's best for you, you know, it's the concept of meekness. And meekness is not weakness. Meekness is allowing my power to be controlled. It's not an abdication of power. I'm not giving in. I'm not giving up. I'm just giving. But when I say, let's do what's best for you, essentially I'm putting your needs above my rights. And I'll go as far as to say that in a friendship or in a, a marriage, I'll just put your wants above my wants. If you'd rather go out or stay in and it's not a big deal to me, then I'm, I'm just going to see it from your perspective and I'm going to do what's best for you. And then in all cases, in every case, that involves a right or a wrong, where it's a moral or an ethical issue, I'm going to do what's right regardless. And when, when we behave that way, it's especially if we're a person of power, or we've got a, a feeling of esteem, or we've got a title, and we're proving that we're wrong, if we don't respond with minimization, denial, and blame, but maybe we switch that to gravity, honesty, and accountability. And gravity being, rather than minimizing it, I recognize the weight of the situation. I recognize the gravity that this thing has for you. How important was it for you? And maybe even how important was it from your standpoint? Even if it's not that important at all in the worldview, if it's that important to you, then in, in a lot of cases it becomes that important to me. At least that's part of, of attunement and alignment and empathy. And so if I can respond to things with with at least an understanding of the gravity that it has for you, it may not be that important to me, but I've got to demonstrate that I get it from your point of view. When I, under, when I respond to it with gravity, and then I respond to it with honesty, yeah, I did it. I didn't do it. I said it. I didn't say it. And I don't deny my part in this. And then I quit blaming other people and I have accountability. Extreme ownership, as they talk about in the book. Yeah, this is my part of it. This is what I controlled and of the things that I could do. I didn't do it optimally or I didn't do it the best or I didn't do it at all. If, if we were to take any situation where, shockingly, we've been proven wrong and we respond with composure, poise, and calm, if we substituted and we didn't use minimization, denial, and blame, but we used gravity, honesty, and accountability. You know, it wouldn't, wouldn't be so much about us being shocked that we were wrong. The people dealing with us might, might see that we behaved with integrity and we behaved with honesty and we behaved with accountability. And because we behaved with accountability and, and, and honesty and integrity, then even if we're wrong, the shocking part wouldn't be that we were wrong. 
it would be the composure and the poise and the calm that we responded to being wrong with. And in today's society where emotions trump logic and where we're a dichotomous on all issues and where we don't really care about facts, we only want to talk about our feelings, if we were people of, of composure and we were people of poise and we were people of calm, in today's society, that might be shocking. Keeping up with Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. I'm your host, Lonnie Jones, and the adventure part is basically just our experiences. And some of those experiences are as mundane as growing up, being married, being a young married couple with a kid, or being a middle-aged couple with grandkids. Some of the experiences will be my adventures as an outdoorsman, a rock climber, a fisherman, a hunter, or my experiences as a police chaplain who's been assigned to a SWAT team for over 30 years. Some of that adventure may even boil down to the idea that there's a belief that I'm a chaotic Jedi. (laughs) Either way, we'll take the experiences or the adventures and we'll talk about the facts. The facts will lead to concepts and the concepts lead to application. Basically, it will be anecdotal wisdom. One cautionary word about the facts is we will tell you the facts just as they happened, but sometimes we'll tell you the facts the way we remember them happening, and sometimes we'll tell you the facts the way we've heard other people tell us the way they remember them happening. In any occasion, it's not an attempt to deceive. There'll be a little bit of embellishment, and it's an all good, clean fun and for learning purposes only. Thank you for keeping up with Jones. Jones.